This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Well, yeah, you'll have to ask him that, Matt, when you get him on the the podcast, won't you? Uh, but I mean, it was it was. I don't think he takes my calls, Paul. <laughs> the book that I want to emerge is Martin O'Neill's memoirs. Oh, I'd love uh, to get him on a podcast. I mean, it's not going to happen. With I don't think it will happen, mate. Martin Dash to work that. bit of trepidation to be honest it's been a while since I've had a chance to speak to Martin O'Neill so really excited about it and I've got a lot to ask and just hope that <laughs> hope that it all goes well and uh, we were able to bring you a very exciting uh, interesting episode of Power and Blue but yeah nervous I feel sick to be honest. Hello, Hello. How, are How are you? Pleased to see you. After all these years. Yeah, still, does it still oh, oh, Of course. Of course it does. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. It really rankles with me because it's a sending off offence. It's the rule of the game. I was desperately wanting Aston Villa to get into the to the Champions League, which is what I thought that all the Villa fans would want it. This was the last 32 of a competition. We're playing a lot of games that season. If leaving at the football club taints everything about it, there is absolutely nothing I could do about it. Would I change? Would I do do it differently? Absolutely. Hello and welcome to the Clarence Blue Podcast. I'm surprised, pleased, intrigued to be joined by Martin O'Neill as our special guest here today. How are you, Martin? Well, I'm fine, Matt. I'm fine. I, I was nearly going to say better for seeing you, but maybe that might not be totally true. But listen, um, and you've changed a little bit, you know. I like myself, a wee bit less hair. And uh, No, but listen, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me. No, it's good, good to see you. It's been a while, and obviously you're kicking off a leg of promoting the new book that you have on the table here. Um, on days like this, my life in football. I suppose it's an obvious question to start with. Has it been a kind of cathartic experience, getting all that out of your head and committed yeah, to paper? Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how, how, what I wanted to do, first of all. you know. But uh, First of all, I wanted to write it myself. And of course, I'm, I, I started write longhand, and uh, that does take a little bit of time, particularly after a page or two where your writing gets a wee bit raggedy. I had done an article in a newspaper uh, with Matt Dickinson way back in the Times. I 
telling, and actually during part of the article, I was saying that I was doing a little bit of writing. And it was picked up by Pam McMillan, the publishers, and the young lad, uh, Matt Coe, got in touch with Matt Dickinson and said, well, listen, we, we would have an interest. So I go there almost like, a, uh, like an interview or, you know, an audition, I should say, to read something to the lady in charge. And no, that was worrying enough at the time, but she, she really liked it. And uh, so it gave me the heart to go on and, and, uh, and, uh, and complete it. So from that viewpoint, you mentioned cathartic. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of little books written um, about me way back, particularly I think in my Celtic days, that I thought were a wee bit wide off the, off the mark, but, but, but sure, do you ever view yourself as other people see you? Perhaps not. And um, so I, ju I just thought, listen, I'll, I'll put it down. I'll have a, I'll have a couple of little, little funny stories, a um, bit of pathos as well to attach to it. But overall, I, it's, 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 um, it's something I probably really wanted to do and I wanted to do myself rather than something that was ghostwritten. So obviously here at the Clown Blue podcast, we're concerned about a particular chapter mm -hmm. of, of, of this book, uh, that being Aston Villa, obviously. Mm -hmm. So 12 years on, Martin, how do you reflect on your, on your spell at Aston Villa? Oh, well, OK, I, how do I ref, uh, reflect on it? I think that, you know, with three top ten or top six finishes in the consecutive years, you would have to say we reached a cup final in my final year and then the semi-final of the FA Cup. I'd like to think about it, you know, as, as, as being pretty good. But obviously, uh, in, the, in the manner in which I left, I don't think it was the manner. If you're talking about uh, 12 years reflection yeah. now, I would have thought that uh, I would have I would have changed that. I wouldn't have done this. My my arguments with the with the owner of the football club, Mr. Lerner, that's what really in the final year was probably disintegrating. I think I would have dealt with it. Should have dealt with it uh, in a in a better fashion. I should have buried the hatchet with him. Say, listen, let's get on with things anyway. And uh, if this is the way you want to run the football club, I'll abide by it. You know, I just probably wanted. Uh, I wanted a bit of. Uh, I wanted us to be in the Champions League, really, as as, yeah. mu as much as that there. But in the manner in, in which you're going, just before the end of the season, if you're asking, can I get those 12 years back again? I think I would have. I definitely would have uh, done it differently. And but an old friend of mine, Alan Parry, who is the director at Wickham Wonders, that I got to know quite well, massive Liverpool fan, but very very good commentator. He said, Martin, you would resign if someone nicked your car parking space. So I think there's an element of that, Matt. So I wish. Now, that my car parking space wasn't nicked at that villa, but I should have, uh, I should have dealt with it in, a, in a, a better fashion. I suppose why everybody was so frustrated and angry and upset when you left, the reason was they didn't want you to leave because mm. you'd done such a good job. Mm. So talk us about, talk us through a little bit of, of how you went about doing that job. So mm. I suppose the, the, the first <coughs> question would be, of the signings that you made, and you were able to bring a lot of people to the club who mm. would go on to be proper heroes, especially mm. for you know, a generation who haven't seen Villa achieve mm. much at all. So who was the one that you'd single out as being the, the best signing that you made when you were at Villa? Well, that's, that's, that's a very, very good point. First of all, if you're talking about, the, and I didn't even sign him, but convincing Gareth Barry to stay at the football club in the first couple of weeks, Gareth's head was turned and I think he thought that uh, Villa were going nowhere at the time. He'd lost his place in the England squad. He'd been out of that there for at least 18, 18 20 months. And, um, and there was an offer in from Portsmouth at the time. I think it was Harry Redknapp might have been in charge. I'm not sure. But anyway... But so convincing uh, Gareth to stay, and I remember saying to him, I think it was out in Germany, would you really consider it? 
because if someone is adamant about leaving a football club, then there's not really much you can do about it. But I thought, I think there was an offer of four million pounds in for him, which was really insignificant for, for Gareth's ability. But I did say to him, regardless of what happened, I'd hope to try and build a team around him. And that, and that, I honestly, I remember saying this to him, that I would get him into the England squad. Delightfully, he stayed at the football club. And, uh, and so we were able to go on. My first signing was Stilian Petrov. His, game, his uh, debut at West Ham was as good a debut as I've ever seen. Then, of course, he, he, um, he, uh, he doesn't hit the heights that I'm expecting to. I tell him, oh, this is not really going to work out. Now he's still in. And honestly, with, with, in fairness to him, he did say, Gaffer, I'm telling you now, he said, I will fight my way back into the team. And so he, so he did. Did you think it was actually a potential? You, you're kind of almost. I've seen seen it in the book. You're almost advising him to say you might need a fresh start somewhere else. Uh, absolutely, I know. In in a hopefully in a friendly sort of manner yeah. to him because he'd not. And I, <clears throat> I was, I was disappointed. I was disappointed with him. I was disappointed for him because I know what he was capable of doing. And I thought maybe the ch the the change of club. Having so been so brilliant in his opening game at West Ham, never forget that. I know to 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 fall by the wayside as much as he had done, but I I knew that it was there. But I thought you know I thought that um, if if he's not going to uh, if he's not going to cut it here at, at Villa Park, then perhaps maybe a change a change of club might be the best thing for him. But I didn't really want it to happen. But he said, "You mark my words, man. I I will be back." So well done him. Obviously. Um, James Milner, big signing. Ashley Young, would you believe it? Carew in a swap with uh, Milan Baras was. Uh, I mean, Carew still, still. <laughs> he's uh, he makes me laugh when I think about him. Um, John was fantastic for us when he decided to play. It was just that sometimes uh, John was uh, possibly more interested in the bright lights and not necessarily in Birmingham. Sometimes down in London. So uh, uh, getting cajoling John into playing. Uh, when his mother, who was living in Norway at the time, might have a different opinion. So, for instance, John might phone his mother every day. She might detect in this phone call, he might have a hoarse voice. And then would say, John, you cannot play on a Saturday with this hoarse voice. Sorry, you know, the doc, you actually can play football with a hoarse voice, you know. So getting John out to play, you had to convince him, John, do you know what? You know, listen, you, you know, we're playing Bolton today, you're actually, you know, you're brilliant against uh, Bolton, you always do well. And then he goes out and smashes it, you know. That, and then the following day he might come in with a really sore finger, you know. So, but he's, uh, he was terrific, he's really terrific. He, you couldn't not like him, John. You, know, you couldn't not, despite of his indiscretions and things that you see here. So, Ashley Young coming down at that particular time, uh, terrific, really, really terrific. Milner, of course, was big. Stuart Downing did, did, uh, really, did really well. So the players that, and despite what you think, man, what you had obviously had reported on, <laughs> I, the most I ever spent on a player was £12 million for two, Stuart Downing and, uh, and um, uh, James Milner. And I think, I think Villa got their money back on, on both of them. But uh, what I'm saying is that, yes, like everything else, I want every signing to be, to be great, and it might not necessarily be the case. I, I read in the aftermath, you know, criticisms of you know, not um, staying with Gary Cahill at the time. Gary's turned out to have a great career, well done him. But he did go to Bolton, it wasn't as if he went to Real Madrid. And he spent four years at Bolton before eventually going on to Chelsea, did really well. 
Gary, um, I don't think, would have taken the place at that time, still being so young, with Melberg and, uh, yeah. and Lawson in the side. But Gary, Gary, in fairness to him, he wanted to push on in his career, really wanted to. And if he wasn't going to play in our team, he wanted to play in someone's yeah. first team. So well, really well done him. I think you used to have a phrase called Monday morning quarterback, I think you said. And I think there was a sense that that at the time that people were, were quick to judge after the event when you were the one that was having to live it, manage it and juggle mm. it. Is that, do you think that, that kind of contributed towards some of the, I don't know, the, the stress levels? or? Well, I think you caused me more stress <laughs> levels, you know, because you were, you were the, uh, the ultimate Monday morning quarterback, you know. So, uh, so from that viewpoint, so I'm getting my chance to get my own back after all these years. I'm glad you're still alive. And, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, likewise, on this side of the table, you live as a football manager, you live with criticism every single day. It's not right with everyone. You just have to accept that, you know. That's the whole point about it. And even if, even if you get a good result, you'll get some wag coming up, like yourself, and, um, and saying, you know, something wasn't right. So you go, well, uh, if, if you feel as if the criticism is a wee bit too strong and, and, it, and it can really blow up, I think that's the time that you try and maybe, and, and maybe do something about it. But overall, I honestly think, Matt, despite, I think, I think you kind of know my character, you, uh, uh, well, maybe you don't, but um, I, th I think overall, yeah, I think the, the one thing, it was the, as is now called, the retreat from Russia, I think was the one that I probably couldn't get my head around it. And this is what I mean. So we're in the last 32 of the uh, Europa League. I think that gets lost sometimes, Martin. I probably, I probably was responsible for whipping it up at the time, but mm. it wasn't the semi-final, it was the last 32, uh, I think. Do you know what? That's the whole point, Matt. This was, if it was the quarter-final... I'm, I'm still not agreeing with what you did, I'm just... Oh, oh, you're not. Oh, I, I, I thought you were. That I, I thought you. I was almost like getting an apology there for a moment or two. No, what what had happened is that I was desperately wanting Aston Villa to get into the to the Champions League, which is what I thought that all the Villa fans would want. It. This was the last 32 of a competition. We're playing in Moscow. We know that the next draw is going to be against either Tottenham Hotspur, I think, or Shakhtar Donetsk. When Harry Redknapp said, I have no interest in this competition, I need to keep, I need to keep my eye on what's happening um, domestically with Tottenham Hotspur, and Harry got no criticism whatsoever. And here we are in the 32, same stage of the competition in Russia on a plastic pitch in February. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson had been saying to me when I'd spoken to him occasionally during the season, you're going in with the same players all the time. And I was going to the well with the same players that I trusted. So the likes of Milner, who could possibly run all day even he was you know we're playing a lot of games that season I thought if we'd won if we'd won the the game at Villa Park it might have been different we might have thought yeah listen here we can do it but if you look at the side it wasn't an under 12 team you know there was a couple of young lads who were making the debuts Barry Bannon and um, and uh, Albrighton I think and Albrighton has gone on to have a splendid career but a lot of the other side the back four in the midfield were boys who played against Everton a couple of weeks earlier that they're in the FA Cup, a competition that I hold in, 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 in the most magnificent esteem, yeah. you know. So it wasn't as if we were going in with that, but it, it, it was led to believe that. What I thought to myself, right, regardless of you stirring it up, I'm not, not too worried about that. What I'm saying is that, that I, it, it did cause, it caused a bit of a commotion. That's, uh, and, um, and I thought that 
that I thought the Villa fans would say, well, listen, no, we're trying to go for the Champions League. Now, had we beaten Stoke City the following, at the, at the weekend, when we're leading 2-0 and coasting with a couple of minutes left in the game, I think it probably would have been forgotten. But I think the combination of those things and those points dropped against Stoke City were, um, were like a, 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 a kind of a, a stick to beat you with, you know, as much as anything else. And that, that was where I, I, I felt that um, that, that was not if if the Villa fans had told me beforehand, listen, we want to try and win the competition. Don't worry about the about the Premier League. Then that might have been a different issue. I thought, well, certainly my my aim for the club was to try and get into the Champions League. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Am I right thinking there was a meal at Villa Park after that? I, I, con- I, I, to, yeah, there was about 200 fans travelled to the game, you know, and um, uh, so... In an attempt to make to make up for it, you know, we uh, to make up for their their trip, and uh, instead of seeing maybe Albrighton or Delfonso playing in the team, you know, they would rather maybe have seen Big John Carew. Who, well, getting John out of uh, out of uh, London at that time might have been a bit more difficult. But um, I am joking. Yeah, uh, I think that that was it. So the, the those who travelled to Moscow, the people who could make the meal, really enjoyed the meal, and the, the criticism continued after the meal. <laughs> Oh, that's what I've heard. I, mean, I don't, don't want to go over too too much. Oh, go on. It's oh, not but, a problem. But I think it, I think it was a kind, kind of a, it was very very Martin. I wasn't there, but it was mm. very Martin O'Neill to me that there was this gesture mm. to kind of say, okay, mm. you know, you're upset, uh-huh. so here's a yeah. I don't know a token mm. token of appreciation for travelling us. But I think at the same time there was, I'm the manager. It's my decision. Kind of don't question me. I think, I, I think that annoyed people. As oh, well. did it? Did it really? Right. Okay. So they took the meal and then they were still and annoyed. The food, yeah, yeah, still yeah still the food. Annoyed. Absolutely. I, I, I must admit that's new to me. I didn't realise that 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 could have been taken out yeah. of that. I, and that was definitely not the intention. Absolutely not. I mean, of course, I want to be the manager. I want to be in charge of proceedings. Who else should be? Yeah. You know. But it, no, I. That is new. Definitely new to yeah. me now. You know. In terms of, do you think the context of it? And most Villa man- managers since Ron Saunders and Tony Barton in nineteen eighty two have probably had the same kind of pressure in a way. Do you think it's because Villa have gone so long without silverware that 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 Moscow thirty last thirty two almost seemed like this is the year? And you know you knocked on the door pretty close with a couple of cup cup finals and and things anyway, which we'll mention about in a yeah, minute. Yeah, but that came later. That yeah. was the that's the yeah. whole point, man. That came the following season yeah. where we actually did better again. Yeah. Um, but no, no, I take I, I take your point um, that Villa have gone a long, long time now, you know, and Villa should be should be up there vying with the rest of those clubs. Yeah. There, they really should be doing that, and 
and that's where I really wanted to wanted to put them. So, um, and I didn't think. I, again, I get back to saying, if this had been the quarterfinals of the competition, totally different issue. But we had a couple of rounds to go through, and the chances are, if Tottenham were going to not bother about the competition, their next trip was to Shakhtar, and yeah. and we would be playing a lot of games. The next season, we actually reached the the cup final. I think that, and and if if I'm talking about things, I think that more than anything else probably um, probably disappointed and irritated me more than anything because had we have beaten Manchester United in the final it's the trophy on the board you know it's there um, and also it might my relationship with Mr Lerner might have improved some somewhat at that time so that would that that would have been that would have been great but we ended up we finished as I say in the in the top six again a couple of points more than the previous season and we're actually we're in the semi-final against uh, against Chelsea um, but um, we're beaten at, at Wembley but overall I think that, that if you're asking me uh, you know the disappointment of losing the final when perhaps had Phil Dowd had decided to I've got, Phil, I've got Phil, Phil and Dowd written down here I was just picking my picking my moment when to mm. when to bring that back up does yeah. it still does it still okay? of, of course of course it does. Me too. <laughs> Absolutely. It really rankles with me because it's a sending off offence. It's the rule of the game. And it doesn't matter whether you are thinking about, oh, listen, uh, will, will, the, will the viewers think this game is a bit lopsided now with a man being sent yeah. off after a couple of minutes? That's not, that. that's, not your, that's not your job. Yeah. Your job is to referee to the rules of the game. Vidic should have been sent off the pitch. It's really, really simple. We get a penalty. And... Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the great, great managers of all time, and you never know, he might have been down to six men and still maybe yeah. been able to have won. But there's a fairly decent chance that down to ten men, a goal in front because James has scored the penalty, yeah. and that we have plenty of energy in the team, you know, with, with uh, Downing playing, with James himself, and obviously with Ashley Young and Bon Lahore. Do you know? It's a you know, if you're asking to, particularly at Wembley, when you've got space, yeah. and they probably would have had to have, you know, uh, addressed the situation and probably put on a defender. They might have taken Michael Owen off the field or yeah. something like this, or whatever it was. I just can't remember all things. But even that, I, th I think that we could have won the game, and um, and so that would have been that would have been the trophy on the board, and then we can go, we can push on again. These are the things that. Big moments that define careers, don't they? Martin O'Neill, trophy winner at Aston Villa. Hmm? You probably could have quit the next day or, or walked out whenever, and you wouldn't have gone kind of under the cloud that eventually hmm. you left under. Hmm. And these these things matter, don't they? Especially for a, a club as success starved as Aston Villa. Oh, uh, absolutely. And you don't want to. Yeah, I, I've just said to you there. No, if you if you um, if you had to do it over again, you wouldn't you wouldn't have done that. I mean, eventually, I was actually constructively dismissed, really, in the whole, whole proceedings because of what had happened and. Uh, wouldn't want to go too much into the tribunal case, but you know it worked out. Uh, it worked out for me in that in that sense. But that's not that's not the that's not the view that uh, Villa fans will take, and uh, I understand I genuinely understand that. Yeah, if, if uh, to do that again, I I, I would have uh, I would have put another head on at that stage and uh, and decided, okay, fine, we'll work together. If uh, if you have a different agenda. Um, um, Mr. Lerner, that's that's fine in time. Villa fans will find out. That was my. I don't say it was my remit. Randy Lerner never put me under that pressure to be in the Champions League. Never once. But it was my ambition. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted. I wanted to qualify for that. Looking back on the on the, the, the good moments again, what would you sum up as your 
best moment or best match or best result? What what was the time when you thought I love managing Aston Villa? This is this is what it's all about. Well, you you I think from your question you feel as if I I, I didn't do it. I, I absolutely did. No, I, don't. I tell, tell I, you did. I really did. Even to have the fun with with um, Mr. Ellis early on, I. Absolutely, I'm sure if Mr Ellis was going to be in charge of the football club for my time there, I wouldn't have lasted four years. I'm quite sure that there. Uh, I know I might not last it four minutes. No, I, I, I absolutely loved it, and I loved the expectation of it, the expectation of managing Aston Villa. You know, and and I mentioned it in the book that you know the the, the writing going up, the big words. You know, with Peter With, my old colleague, who ends up uh, leaving Forest, going to Newcastle, coming down to Villa, and winning the thing that he. He prized, you know, winning the um, the European Cup. So absolutely, those things. And what I wanted to do is that I wanted the players as well. There had been a lot of pictures taken down of the old team. And I wanted to reinstate them and put them up there and say, this is what we're aspiring to. This is what this club, if you've already achieved something great, as they did do in 1982, why should you not aspire to this again? Why should Aston Villa, one of the oldest teams going, why should they not be great again? And that's what that's what you wanted to do. Now, were we good enough with the side to win the to win the league? Probably not. The Manchester United and Arsenal were, you know, had stronger squads, bigger squads, you know, and could rotate better. But in time, in time, if that's the case, particularly if you've got a trophy under your belt with the confidence really high, and players, uh, you know, players might leave the football club because they can get uh, far more money elsewhere. But if you can try and strive to keep them as long as possible. Then, uh, then you're in a you're, then you're in a good place, and the Villa fans. Listen, every fan will moan about something. Or other. we've had, we've had plenty of games at Villa Park with oh my God Almighty, why does he not use that substitute? You know, I loved it. I I wish now again and getting back to the point, I wish I could have um, um, sorted out my um, my well discussions with uh, Mr. Lerner and come to a um, a more pleasant. Um, a more pleasant agreement. So you touched, you touched upon, like I said, I wasn't going to spoil it for, for the readers, but you touched upon the <laughs> Doug Ellis at your initial meeting with him. Can you give us a little flavour of that? I knew that at the time, as I was speaking to the secretary, uh, Steve Stride, Steve was a great fellow, really, really great fellow, and and Steve had said that, uh, you know, he'd worked with Doug for years and years and years, and of course Doug at this time, there's always, there'd always been talk about maybe takeover bids or Doug selling, but this particular time now with the season having gone so poorly the previous year, and that uh, David O'Leary having left the football club, that, uh, that Doug maybe might have been forced to leave. The season tickets were right down, and now suddenly, and, um, and Steve told me that of all the people interested in buying the football club, the only one that had serious interest and serious uh, and who could do it would be Randy Lerner. And I met up with Randy Lerner, who said to me beforehand, "Listen, you go on with your own thing. I'm far from I'm far from uh, absolutely certain about this thing." He said, "I want to buy the football club, but if I don't, and um, and Mr. Ellis holds out and doesn't do it, he said uh, that's too bad. But if he makes you manager." And I come in, whether in a month, six months, or a year. He said, "All being well," he said, "I, I would keep you on." So I, you know, I kind of thought, yeah. "Well, that's that's good because you last thing you want to do is is sign for a manager, uh, sorry, sign as a manager for a for a, a chairman, and then find out that he leaves or sells the club and somebody else comes in and you're gone." So from that viewpoint, so I had, had a couple of uh, meetings with uh, with Doug at his house in um, in uh, Four Oaks and Sutton Coffee, and he was in this day with uh, with uh, like just out as if he just played a tennis game, and uh, in in the shorts, 
I do say a pair of pair of legs that would uh, that stork might be embarrassed <laughs> to own, but listen, dog. But um, and um, so I did make a, 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 a bit of a jibe by saying, "Is Roger Federer in the bathroom or something?" And said, "I don't think Doug took it all that well, <laughs> in all honesty." And you know, and I didn't know him that well either. But uh, his his uh, legend was um, was uh, in in front of me, and of course he had said at that time that he invited he invented the bicycle kick in in soccer. <laughs> and I do remember, I think, seeing a photograph of David Jack doing the same thing in 1923, the first Wembley Cup final for Bolton against West Ham. I, I think it was a year before Doug was actually born. And, and I think, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to lose this chance to manage the football club. So, oh, did you, Doug? Did you do it? But he's, he was no fool. He re absolutely no, no fool whatsoever, you know. And I think it was, uh, wasn't it Jimmy Greaves that gave him the line, deadly Doug, because, you know, Man, you know, you could walk up, you could be in Doug's office on a, on a Monday, speaking, having a nice coffee with him, and then Tuesday you might find yourself with your papers in your hand. So, um, would I, would I have been, would I could have got on with Doug? And you know what? In some, some, some aspects I, I think I could have done. Uh, uh, most people tell me, some ex-managers have told me, you might have found it difficult. But even so, you know, it was, it was good while it lasted, even for those number of weeks. So you, you've mentioned about Doug. Tell us about your relationship with Randy Lerner then. Yeah, it was initially very, very good. I, Randy was wanting to do, do special things with the with the football club. I think he he enhanced the whole end as well. Too. He wanted to you know wanted he wanted um, he wanted the fans, the Aston Villa fans, to actually enjoy the experience of going there. And and I think he did some fantastic things at the club, really. And of course he. Um, he built himself a house a few miles from the training ground and all seemed well with the world. But, you know, like everybody's life changes, you know, personal uh, things happen in, 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 in people's lives. Or he might, you know, might find that, uh, that maybe I was a bit too argumentative. We, it was, a, it, genuinely, it was really, really terrific um, uh, to begin with. He put me in charge of the whole club, which was great. The, um, the chief executives, that he employed, I think he employed two in the space of a year, had little or nothing to do with me, you know, didn't interfere at all, and he told them not to. He let me run the whole football club, which is the way I wanted to do it. And that if I was recommending some players to come uh, to the football club, if he could do it, he would try and do it. If he couldn't, he would let me know. So it was really, really, really decent relationship. I think he felt that um, I think that uh, he thought with the younger players coming through, and I loved watching the younger players. Um, I know at, at youth team level, I loved the youth cup. In fact, they, I had taken the um, I'd taken the first team away for a couple of days to uh, to the south of Spain, and and I travelled back on a flight uh, to watch the lads, the youth boys, play at Carlisle, at Carlisle, and then go back again to join up with the uh, with the senior squad. So I loved travelling with them. Did I think that the youth team players at that time were good enough to step into the shoes of, let's say, an injured Ashley Young or an injured James Milner? No, I didn't think that. I still wanted to, you know, as I've mentioned to you before, push on, try and get into the Champions League. Uh, I didn't think that they were good enough at that stage. Or, and some of the lads have gone on to Mark Albright, who, who would have played in the opening game had I stayed that he was down because he had had a sensational pre-season with us at senior level he would have definitely opened against West Ham which I think he did but he would have played under me 
at the time. I thought Delfonso was going to come through as a really good player. Barry Bannon was always small and that was going to be against him. Uh, and uh, Kieran Clark, I suppose, to an extent. But, you know, I, I really genuinely wasn't sure. So is that the kind of pressure that you felt that Randy thought that this youth team squad could go I think on? Whereas you thought you needed some, you know, needed to maintain. Experience. Oh well, absolutely. I think a, a Paul Faulkner, Paul, who eventually became, um, who was Randy's PA to begin with, and then he became the chief executive. Paul and I were working together, but I think Paul was the thought, you know, and with, the, with respect, you no, know, I'm, I'm football manager, you know, and and I think Paul thought that, uh, and was saying to Randy, he thought he, Paul, thought that these young lads were going to be, you know, the the, the answer. Hmm. Well. You know, I, I didn't see that, you know. So, James Milner, the James Milner to Man City deal, that eventually became the tipping point, is that right? Uh, James, yeah, yeah. Uh, James wanted to leave to go to Manchester City, that's true, because for a number of reasons. I think he thought that, that even though we were, on the, we were in the, in, on the up, as it were, that Manchester City, with all the things that they had at that time, and of course he was going to improve his wages and things like this here, I don't honestly think that that was a major thing in, in James, but if somebody's offering you two and a half times what you're getting before, I think you really have to have a thought about it. And, um, and so James leaving. And I, I have to say, I, I took all of these things rather too personally, really too personally. You know, I brought James into the football club. I know he'd been out on loan before at, at Villa and done fine, but I changed him from wide right to centre midfield because this is what they do. And he was fantastic for us. You, you kind of, to an extent, please take this in the right sort of way. You feel as if you know you've got a, a, a part ownership of these of these players, but you realise that all these great relationships you think you have maybe might not be as strong as you think. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But um, so I took it too personally, really. I thought he was going to stay, and I think that James would have stayed. One day, Randy said, "Listen, we're going to keep him. We're going to try and get um, Scott Parker." There was talk. Uh, I think the, the Scott Parker's agent had been in touch, uh, uh, saying that um, uh, with our chief scout, Ian Story Moore, saying that they would have serious interest. And we thought, well, you know, that, that that could happen. And Randy said, well, "Listen, we'll, we'll keep, we'll, we'll go, for, we'll try and get Scott Park, but we'll keep James." And I thought that's fantastic. And then the following day, no, it was a complete change. Again, you know, you take yourself into a dark room, put a cloth around your head, and then and have it and rethink instead of uh, instead of reacting immediately. And I think those things are. So I think it kind of came to a head around the. the Valencia friendly on a Friday night at Villa Park and to talk us through your thought processes from, from just, I think that you know Stephen Ireland I felt was coming to, Stephen Ireland uh, uh, would, had been a fine player at, Aston, or sorry, at Manchester City a couple of years before that there I and I think that uh, 
Stephen Ireland was not going to figure in Manchester City's plans, and I don't think that I didn't think that paying a lot, uh, a, a substantial amount of money for him, uh, particularly when you could have waited to the last moment and got him virtually for for nothing, I didn't feel that that was the, that was that was great, you know, and um, because he wasn't going to figure uh, at Man City, he wasn't going to be in, he wasn't even going to get a squad number. And so, if you you wait towards the end, then Manchester City would be would be only too willing to to talk smaller terms than that there. But it was, um, and listen, at the end of the day, it's um, these things these things happen. I have to I have to say that the, the whatever I am as a manager, the owner of a football club, has um, has uh, has his own decisions to make, and uh, and actually maybe I didn't see that at the time, but. You know, I think that uh, again, in hindsight, you look and you think, well, you know, he is the owner. It's his. It's, he has the one that's tried to improve the football club in many aspects, and uh, so that decision should rest with him, probably. So, Randy's view turns set in motion a chain of events that saw you resign, I think, mm. on the Monday, and then, and again, can't go into too much detail for various reasons, but effectively win a, a constructive dismissal. Mm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So. You know what? Honestly, there's uh, there's really little little uh, little point in going over a lot of these particular things now at this minute. The the bottom line is that uh, if you're asking me now, and uh, in fact, even if you'd asked me, two, maybe maybe uh, maybe a year after events, then you know I would certainly have. Um, I, well, I would uh, I would have stayed on at the football club, pushed on. And I wouldn't have been. People said, "Oh, it's because you know it was he, he was asking for more money," which is a, an absolute myth. The myth it wasn't the case. I did say to Randy that some stage or another you will get you will get your money back for the likes of James Milner, um, Ashley Young, and Stuart Downing, and you will make some money on those deals. Let's uh, let us try and push on, and which they did do, but not every you know. Um, I was expecting perhaps more from the likes of Sidwell and uh, and um, uh, Nigel Rio Coker, you know, at the time. Really expecting that, and um, so. But overall, we had um, we had a, I, I thought we had a squad capable of. We'd certainly certainly be in the top six. Can we push into those last two positions? That was that was it. But uh, th this idea that I was uh, you know I was asking for a lot lot more than that there was simply not true. Do you acknowledge that the, the kind of I think you touched on this before, but do you acknowledge that the the, the manner of your departure has tainted your legacy in the eyes of, of I, many Villa fans? I don't know. Uh, people people leaving. Yeah, I mean we've uh, we finished three top sixes. You're trying to push on. Yeah, you're not going. I'm not going to convince everyone. I in fact I did a little function last night in Oswestry, and three Villa fans did come up to me. Now I know that they weren't going to be cantankers or anything like this here, but they said, you know. Had really great days there, but there'll be lots of Villa fans who say, "No, listen here, he left us in the lurch." That type of stuff. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to convince people. I've said to you before, or said during this interview, that if I had to do it over again, I'd stay, I'd absolutely stay put. We finished in the uh, top six. This is the interesting thing about it. I didn't think, I didn't think the top six was good enough for Aston Villa. That's the, that's really it. That's it. I wanted to be in the Champions League. I'd had the experience of that there at Celtic. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like that music being played. Imagine having that played at Villa Park. That was my driving. That's so, and um, and that's what I wanted. I didn't, and we nearly did it in two particular years. We went to Manchester City. 
if we'd won the last two games, I think we'd have made it, Manchester City, and uh, then we, um, we were leading 1-0, and then they beat us, second last game of the season, we lost. Anyway, I'm maundering on here at the moment, just to tell you that that was, that was what I didn't think, I didn't think that uh, the top six was good enough for Aston Villa. Do you think, and I hope I've phrased this correctly, but my experience of you when I was the local reporter and you, the Aston Villa manager, was you could go, you could be both charming and ferocious, sometimes charming and ferocious at the same time. Mm. Do you feel like you have mellowed now with this distance from the game? You certainly, certainly seem to have, if you don't mind me saying. No, I haven't mellowed. No, I have not mellowed. No, I have. I have changed my mind about about or or uh, would have done something differently. But that doesn't mean I've mellowed. Absolutely not. No. I look across. I see you. A wee bit a bit older than the than the git that I used to know. And um, and you would pick up and run with something, which is miles off of of course. And um, so absolutely not. No. I, I I I it's not a mellowing. Even as I get older, I probably get. Uh, probably get a bit more cantankerous and, and more vicious. Was it? What did you say? Vicious? Did it? No, was it vicious? Was it ferocious, ferocious. Oh, ferocious. Ferocious. Yeah. So no, I didn't. Those are the, those are not a, not not the things. I had a bit of a bit of fun writing writing the book. That's fine. I wanted to tell it in the in the manner in which I supposedly come across. But no, uh, no. You're you're managing a football team. You're managing a football club. Those things are important and you have to be in charge. And this is the interesting thing, Matt, more than anything else. Players nowadays probably couldn't, couldn't take the sort of criticism that was dished out when I was a player. We, we accept that. Life has changed. But the remarkable thing about it is that when managers do leave a football club, then you'll get a group of players who are saying, ah, he was too soft with us. He was too soft. Players, even now, even though they can't take the criticism, do still want to be managed. They want to be managed. They want to have a strong voice in that dressing room. They want to have a. They want to have a leader in that dressing room, and uh, and th that's really, in terms of my management, that's what I wanted to do. So if 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 the likes of um, of John Carew or or Milner, those people, had a, a little bit of fear because you know this is what I wanted from them. Uh, that's that's absolutely fine by me. Absolutely fine. I didn't. Um, my job as a, as a football manager was not was not a popularity contest in the dressing room. Absolutely not. Never has been. And I I, I learned that from a very early stage. You can still have great respect from the players, and I and I genuinely think this. And the only bit of boasting I'll do. I think I think I had that there. It was interesting when. Uh, Curtis Davis, I think it was, said that uh, you know did one of those like Harry Redknapp oh, interviews, yeah, you know, winding window, down the yeah. window when I'd left, and he said uh, something. Oh, uh, the manager had his favourites, and if I'd been there, I would have interjected and said, yeah, they were usually my best players. I suppose what would your message be to Villa fans now, and how would you like to how would you no, like to be I remembered? No, you said it's not, I, I don't. I, that doesn't bother me about the, the, you know about that. It's interesting because. We're in the top six for three consecutive years, and again, I, I, I keep repeating, this is not really where I wanted to go, although European football now, and Villas, it's been a struggle for, for some time, and yet I, I, would go, I would go back to football grounds, and I went to Villa Park a couple of times when I was manager of the Republic of Ireland, and I was kind of sneaking in the back door, you know, and I should not be sneaking in the back door for what, what I did at the, at the football club, that's the whole point. So if, if, um, if leaving at the football club taints everything about it, 
there is absolutely nothing I could do about it. Would I change, would I do, do it differently? Absolutely, absolutely, I would have done. And, um, and that's, that's all I can say. But it's not, it's not for me to ask, ask uh, uh, Villa fans. Villa fans, I will have one or two saying, listen, really enjoy those days. And they have, and I will have Villa fans saying, you left us in the lurch. I'm not, I cannot change people's minds at the end of the day. And, um, and I don't think that, I wanted to try and explain what had happened during that time. And still Villa fans will make up their minds. Or no matter what I say in the book, they may never change their minds, so it doesn't, it's... Um... It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When I say it's not a concern of mine, of course you would like you would like everybody to think that uh, we had some good days. And I think if you ask Ashley Young and James Milner, who've gone on to play for Manchester United and Liverpool, and James has won um, umpteen trophies with the, the clubs, even at Manchester City, I think they they would say that you know some of their Villa days were as were as uh, as enjoyable a days as they had, you know. No, that's brilliant. Well, I've, I've found it therapeutic and insightful. I hope it hasn't been too too boring for you catching uh, up with me after uh, all this time. Not at all, man. Not at all. Honestly, you know. So I'm I'm actually going to walk out of here and think he's not too bad. He's not. The, he's not the blurt that I knew. But actually, I I think you are. You know. So okay. Anyway, thank, listen, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. No Best problem. Best of luck with the book. Okay. There's a brilliant Villa chapter in there, and there's lots more to get yeah. stuck into if you're a football fan. So no you've been watching Client Blue podcast with me, Matt Kendrick, and Martin O'Neill. Thanks so much, Martin. It's a pleasure, man. Okay, no problem. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. Up the villa.